with the 32nd pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, the recap edition here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Chris McPherson alongside Fran Duffy, Melissa Kelly handling things behind the glass for us here. And uh, it's come to an end. The 2018 NFL Draft, just like that, in a snap, is in the history books. It's in the rearview mirror. It was. Uh, it, it went fast. I agree with that. The weekend I, went really fast. It, it. It's interesting because usually, especially like day three, you feel like kind of drags on and on because there's a lot of picks, a lot of movement. You're waiting through those last couple of rounds. It felt like from start to finish, like even the first night, even Thursday night, as we're sitting there waiting for pick 32. And, you know, most people expect Eagles to trade out. So it's like you're kind of waiting for nothing, almost, so to speak, even though it's going to be delayed gratification, having sure. to wait till 2019 with it. But the thing is, you know, it was still going time-wise, like the normal pace, but I just felt like, man, like pick by pick, it's flying. It, w- it was just very interesting from the very top, seeing Baker Mayfield go to the Browns, you know, to the big trade the Saints made to get Marcus Davenport right in the middle around yep. the 14th pick. It was just there was intrigue at each and every turn, and certainly it didn't go the way I don't think anyone had expected whatsoever. No, there was it was honestly it was one of the craziest drafts that I can remember from like top to bottom. We'll talk about some surprises later in the show, but um, to me, like top ten, there were a couple surprises. 10 to 20, there were a couple surprises because we were doing uh, some Facebook Live Q&As and stuff, yep. and it felt like every time we went on air on Thursday night, there was something else for us to talk about. I mean, like, I, I can't believe that just happened. It was, a, it was a crazy night, and then even Friday, there was some crazy stuff that happened as well. Indeed. So what we're going to do here, Draft Buzz, we're going to recap the Eagles' selections in the 2018 NFL Draft. Our Mr. Relevant is Kyle Krabs from NDT Scouting. He ranked the Eagles' draft class as the number one in the NFL, despite just having five selections. So we're going to get into that with him. Our pick six, it's the, how do I say this here? It's the, I can't believe blank went before blank exercise. Probably the best way for us to describe it. That's a, that's a good way. We'll go with that. So, so some of our surprise selections from the 2018 NFL draft and your questions to wrap things up in our draft mailbag. But first, draft buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. It's time for Draft Buzz, and we're going to look at the Eagles' five draft picks starting at number 49 overall. But, Fran, before we get into the selections, I have to give it up for David Akers. Oh. The phenomenal job that he did representing Eagles fans <laughs> in Dallas. It was tremendous because I think a lot of people thought that you're sending the kicker, your Hall of Fame kicker, you know, when you have a chance to rub the Super Bowl trophy in the face of those Dallas Cowboys fans and in front of all Texas as the entire NFL stage is watching there at AT&T Stadium, and David Akers delivered. It was, it was a 65-yard field goal with distance to spare. Just throw a mummer's outfit on him. That's it was two <laughs> legendary speeches in one offseason for the Eagles. It was been. awesome. It was absolutely awesome. And what, what was interesting, and I actually had forgotten this, was that David Akers kind of helped kick off the the era of golden era of Eagles football, true, with the onside kick in Dallas, not that stadium, it was the old Texas stadium, 
but against the Cowboys in September of 2000. So I thought it was very apropos that sure. he helped get the ball rolling there in 2000, and you know he gets to come back for the nice celebratory. That's speech. a good point. I like that. So first pick. Well, let's go. Sorry, number 32. The Eagles end of the first round. 30 second selection comes up, and they decide to make a trade with the Baltimore Ravens. And thank goodness that Lamar Jackson was still on the board. That's a huge help for the Eagles. And we had talked throughout the entire process here on the Journey to Draft podcast that the Eagles really need a quarterback to be there at 32 to really sweeten the pot there for a team looking to move up. And the Baltimore Ravens did just that, sacrificing a 2019 second-round pick as well as a flip-flop of uh, fourth-round picks, but the Eagles moving back to the 40 or 52nd overall selection, I should say. So 20 spots back, and you recoup a future pick. A lot of people would have thought they would have gotten extra picks for 2018, but you get a nicer value waiting the extra year. Yeah, you get that second-round pick next year, and that could very easily, Chris, be a top 40, top 45 selection. Uh, you know, Baltimore looks like you know solid team, but very easily uh, that could be a, a bottom or you know, top of the first or top of the second round selection so it's going to be very interesting to see how that pans out either way you get very good value to move down you know a handful of slots indeed and the eagles really loading up for that 2019 NFL draft they have an extra 7th round pick uh we, we're not sure which 7th round pick was selected or traded i should say to acquire uh Jordan Mailata yep. uh but they had an extra one in queue because of the trade for Allen Barber to Denver uh, they're expected to get some compensatory selections, so the Eagles really setting themselves up nicely for the 2019 NFL Draft. So they trade back 20 spots, but seeing how the board's falling, they decide to make a move up, and they send a fifth-round pick to the Indianapolis Colts for the right to go to number 49 overall, and they take Dallas Goddard out of South Dakota State, six foot five, two hundred and sixty pound tight end, and it's great for so many reasons that a the player the pick himself but the fact that it's in dallas the cowboys have just learned that day that it looked like it looks like jason witten is going to retire and head to the broadcast booth on monday night football it's not been officially announced as of this moment but all signs point that that's going to happen so the cowboys now are scrambling i mean jason witten was there to help kick off the draft and all of a sudden now they need a tight end, so the Eagles are like, let's make sure we get ahead of the Cowboys and maybe even the Patriots yep. as well because the Patriots ended up trading out of their spot, I believe, at 51. So the Eagles going to 49 and taking Dallas Goddard. Your thoughts on the selection? I love the pick. You know, Coming into the draft, Dallas Goddard was a top 25 player for me coming into the, into the weekend, so uh, certainly a guy that I was excited about getting it with the 49th pick. What I love most about Dallas Goddard are his ball skills, his ability to finish at the catch point. He makes thing, routine catches look very easy, but he also makes those tough catches look really easy, whether he's going up with one hand, where he's making it in traffic, where he's taking a huge hit, if there's a defender on his back. I mean, he's, he can do it all in terms of winning at the catch point. He's developed as a route runner. He's a good athlete. He can run away from people. He doesn't have outstanding speed. He's not Travis Kelsey, but a guy that can certainly win one-on-one matchups both in space and in traffic. I'm a big fan of this, and it also allows the Eagles to continue playing the way that they did in 2017 in terms of using multiple tight end packages. That 12 and the 13 personnel packages with two or three tight ends, You know the ability to create mismatches off of that, and then also force defenses to play a certain way from a coverage standpoint maybe they don't feel too comfortable. And so that, that really, when you have versatile tight ends and you can spread everybody out, now let's say you're in, you know, if you come out in three tight ends, you're, you figure the other team's going to come out in base with three linebackers. Now you spread everybody out because you've got three linebackers that can run. 
there's only a few different ways that teams can now say, okay, we feel comfortable playing uh, in coverage against that kind of personnel grouping. So uh, when you've got the ability to play that way, it doesn't just help Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. That helps everybody else across the rest of the roster uh, that's on the field at that one time. So I'm really, really excited. I love the pick of Dallas Goddard. I thought coming in that he had three down potential to be a quality starter at the tight end position. So I'm really fired up about the pick. To me, it was very important with the Eagles coming into the weekend with only six picks that they maximize the potential talent of those and get you know top flight players with those selections, knowing that you know it's not a year where you can really take a lot of chances or you know have players who have uh, big projections, I should say, to the next level. And we'll actually get we'll discuss that more when we get to the Jordan Mailata selection. But in the second round, again, you're looking at the board. You're starting to see a drop-off in terms of talent after you went back from 32. You realize that a couple teams might be eyeing up Dallas Goddard in that position. Go up and get the guy. Yep. You bring him to the building, three-year starter, you know, two-time All-American, two-time finalist for the Walter Payton Award, team captain. They're just down the board. There are just so many things I like that. The fact that he dominated at the yes. FCS level, that, that's huge because everyone says it's small school. You know, how's that going to translate to the NFL? Well, he, the fact that he dominated that level and showcased some of the things that the Eagles like to do utilizing the tight ends like you just talked about. To me, I think what also helped the Eagles here is that Dallas Scott was injured for most of the pre-draft process. You know, if he's someone who can, you know, participate at the combine and, you know, he wasn't able to do much of the senior bowl, that probably raises his stock a little bit, and maybe he's not there at 49. That's a good so, point. So the fact that he you know, wasn't able to fully participate you know, probably kept his value down a little bit, especially considering the fact that he was coming out of an FCS school. Because that, that's the one thing is, all right, we like the tape, but how is he as an athlete compared to the other Titans in this draft class? Sure. The Eagles you know, doing their homework. They brought him in for a pre-draft visit. And uh, I like the personality he brings, a very competitive spirit. Uh, I think he's going to fit in well with this locker room. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited again uh, just to see how he and Zach Ertz once look. It's going to take you know a little bit for him to get acclimated, but once you get him up to full speed, you have him and Zach Ertz being able to play off each other. I'm really excited to see how that's going to work out. So the Eagles not having a third round selection, so they got to wait till the fourth round, and they have two fourth round selections. The first of them, they take cornerback Avante Maddox out of Pittsburgh. Credit to Tommy Lawler who in his final Eagles only mock draft nailed the selection, which he, he tends to get one or two every year. So I don't yep. know if he has Howie's ear or how, <laughs> how that's working. But nonetheless, five foot nine, 180 pounds, played primarily on the outside. Yep. But I, I would have to say, Fran, he's probably going to move to the inside at some point here in the NFL. Yeah, because of his height. Yeah, and that'll be the big thing. Now, what you like about it is that he's got the skill set, a lot of the traits that you look for inside in the slot. So, yeah, while he is undersized, He's, he's explosive in terms of his right his straight-line speed, but he's got what they call twitch. He's got that quickness, that change of direction, the ability to stay in the hip pocket of a receiver. He's got the foot quickness to be able to do that and play with a receiver on a two-way go. Now, he doesn't have experience doing it from the slot, so that's why it may, be, it may take a little bit for him to be able to get acclimated there on the inside. But he's got all the tools to be able to do that. He plays very competitive. He's a strong run defender. He's not afraid to come downhill and lay a hit on a ball carrier. I like that from him. He's going to need to be able to do that because when you're in the slot, you play closer to the ball, which means you're closer to offensive linemen. There's just more bodies. You've got to be able to survive in traffic, and he's got the ability to do that. He's a very good blitzer. He's a smart player, an instinctive player in zone coverage. The Eagles play a lot of zone, so there's a lot to like here. He's known for his leadership. He was a team captain. He can play special teams. There, there's a lot to like with Avante Maddox. Indeed. That's the biggest thing for me is just, again, 
you have someone who maybe doesn't fit the typical height, weight, speed requirement, but the athleticism for him is off the charts. He had the fastest 60-yard shuttle of all players at the Combine. I think it was a 4.39 in the 40. So definitely the athleticism. You like the competitive spirit. And, you know, Jim Schwartz would like that aggressiveness. That's yep. the biggest thing. So, again, he made – and Joe Douglas said it during the press conferences over the weekend. It's like there are players who have thrived in the NFL despite not having the height and weight um, – you know necessary requirements but again the biggest hole for the eagles coming into this draft to me was that nickel corner position i don't know if he's going to be the guy from day one you know you can't just you know automatically assume you're gonna plug a fourth round pick into that role uh but hopefully down the line that's where you envision himself tran- sure. transitioning into so in the fourth round they got avante mags out of pittsburgh then five picks later at 130 overall they took the edge rusher josh sweat uh, Florida State, who, Fran, we did our reporter mock draft extravaganza podcast here uh, right before the draft, and the Tennessee Titans had selected him 25th overall. 25, yep. So certainly was in play. I mean, there, and there were other mock drafts that kind of had flirted with the name Josh Sweat there toward the end. To get him in the fourth round, tremendous, tremendous value. Right off the hoof, you've got great size, and great athleticism. The guy is an explosive athlete uphill. Uh, he's got the ability to win on the other side of the line of scrimmage and make plays both against the run and the pass. He's got really good flexibility uh, in his lower half. So he's got the ability to win as a pass rusher. Now, the reason why the numbers weren't outstanding were because he played in a system where he wasn't necessarily asked to just line up out wide and get after the quarterback. He played a lot close to the ball, you know, as a three technique, as a four eye or five technique. Almost what, uh, think back to under Chip Kelly and Billy Davis, where Fletcher. Cox played that's kind of where Josh Sweat played over the course of his career obviously a different kind of player in and you're thinking like Sweat, Josh Sweat is 6'5 250 and exactly Fletcher right. Cox is you know 6'3 305 yeah. 10 so he played a lot different in terms of <laughs> the the overall position that he had to play the role that he had to play in that defense but all of the physical tools are there for him to be unleashed and get after the quarterback. And he's not he's never played in a system like what he's about to enter into here in Philadelphia. I think that that's going to be really exciting for him. Obviously, the reason why he fell was because of the, the issues around the knee. He heard it back in high school. Then I think the, the, there was a tweak that, that happened in 2016. So uh, something that he had, to, he had to work through, and that's one of the reasons why he fell. Um, but overall, you love the upside. He's got the ability to be a quality starter in the NFL. He's got really, really good traits. Indeed. The thing with, with Josh Sweat is he comes – into his Eagles locker room, and he gets to learn from Brandon Graham and Chris Long and and Michael Bennett, and we talked about Fletcher Cox, like all these veterans who are among the best of the best at what they do. Um, you know, Derek Barnett. It's the growth, well. Derek Barnett. Yep. It, it's a nice potential bookend for down the road at some point. And look, the Eagles they they lost Vinny Curry. They lost Bo Allen along, along the defensive line, and Harry Roseman Plout said, we're not going to have fewer resources devoted to the, off, uh, to the defensive line in 2018 just because we've already invested a lot in that position. Like That's just not going to happen that's whatsoever. So getting Josh Sweat there, just tremendous value. You love the upside. D- didn't you, did, did you comp him to I comped him to VC? Vinnie Curry. I did. So the reason why I comped him was because he had that size and that athleticism. Remember, Vinnie Curry coming out of Marshall – I mean, he was seen as a potential first-round pick. He had all the athletic traits. He was a big guy. He was a second-round I mean, selection. He was second round selection. He was yeah. second-round pick. So uh, there were a lot of high hopes for Vinny Curry. So I think back to Vinny coming out, and I see some similarities. The, the other thing with Josh Sweat is, and this just becomes you know, a lack of experience, since he wasn't asked to really kind of work off the edge often, 
he just needs to get a little bit better in terms of winning at the top of the arc. You know, he, he's not great with his hands yet. He kind of wins almost like through effort and technique, which that's a, lot, a big part of rushing the passer. Fletcher Cox is one of the best in the NFL, and he wins with effort and not as much technique. He wins with just being bigger and stronger and faster and quicker than guys. So, uh, you know, I think when you look at Josh Sweat, that's the other thing. is you, Much like Derek Barnett a year ago, who was a top 15 pick, he wanted, you want to see him get a little bit better with his plan of attack and with his hands. Yeah, it's interesting now the knee wasn't a concern for the Eagles. The medical staff checked it out. I mean, Josh Sweat played and was durable during his career at yeah. Florida State. Yeah, he didn't miss a lot of time. And his athleticism is one still game maybe. And his athleticism is still there. Yeah. So surprising to an extent. Yes. I mean, it does happen where you know players do get flagged, even though that they're able to have productive uh, college careers. But you know, maybe it's a, a boon for the Eagles. No question. Uh, so we go now to the sixth round, and the Eagles going staying along the line of scrimmage, the lines of scrimmage because they go to the offensive side with the 206 overall selection, taking Matt Pryor out of TCU. And uh, Dave Spadaro, Eagles insider, said this coming out of the draft room. They look at him as, you know, big V part two, basically. He's a big kid. He played both right guard and right tackle for the Horned Frogs. He's 6'7", just under 350. He's got 35-plus inch arms. He's got 11-and-a-half-inch hands, which that's the, the largest mitts of any <laughs> offensive lineman drafted in the last decade. Just to give you an idea of how oh, big his hands Fran are. Fran researches this, so there's no question about it. No, I didn't miss on this one. 11 At least by the numbers half. I've got. 11 and a half, like the, the 12, I said this when we drafted him, those 12-inch rulers they used in grade school, he's a half-inch smaller than that. That's how big his hands are uh so a guy that obviously he's got the ability to move people up front you know he's gonna have to work on technique he's not the greatest athlete in the world at that size obviously but he's got rare size and i think that that will serve him well probably projects more to guard than tackle but he's got that versatility that's something that doug peterson obviously values at the position as well it's amazing thinking of a guy who's that big playing guard yeah you know i mean i think if brandon brooks is a pretty big guy but he's even he's six three six four and sure you know three thirty and chains like this Matt Pryor kid is gonna be a big, a big boy. That's a big boy, to say the very least. But again, you know, big V Halapulavati Vitai coming out of TCU as well. Started left tackle for the Super Bowl was a fifth round selection. You know, a little rough around the edges, but you give him a coach like Jeff Statland, you can make it happen. And Pryor is a big boy. Well, that's you get to I a know. different kind of animal next with a seventh round pick. So last, but certainly not least, the Eagles. At 233rd overall in the seventh round, taking the Australian rugby player Jordan Maialata, played for the South Sydney Rabbitohs, which basically is a rabbit. Uh, but an amazing story. You know, the fact that he's just turned 21 years old, he's six foot eight, 347 pounds. And apparently, I think Mike Mayock said this on the broadcast that. Close to 300 of those pounds are lean muscle. Like, there's very little body fat on this if you, guy. If you watch the YouTube highlights from his rugby days, uh, you would believe it. So, long story short, basically, was in August of last year, his, he was part of the under-20 rugby team. His, he wanted to continue his rugby career, but he was only offered part-time gigs. And the teams were telling him he had to lose, like, 30 to 40 pounds. And he's like, I can't. And then if it's like, if you want me to, you got to sign me to a full-time contract. It's like, that's not going to happen. So the NFL has an international pathway program, which started last season. And the NFC South teams 
were granted an extra spot on the practice squad for an international player to help them come along and develop. So Maialata was selected as one of six players to work out the IMG Academy. This was back in January down in Florida, and he was going to try to be one of these, you know, international pathway practice squad players but he found out that he had draft eligibility and decided why not years old yeah yeah why not might as well just go for it and give it a shot so he had eight pre-draft visits i mean the youtube highlights are sensational and again the eagles sent the patriots their pick which was originally 250 later in the round and a seventh round pick next year so they knew that they had to get ahead of some teams and that they weren't going to be able to just sign him as a rookie yep. free agent. The Eagles brought him in for a pre-draft visit, and apparently Jeff Stoughton loves the kid, was absolutely enamored with him. Uh, Maialata is saying that, that Stoutland tested his manhood during uh, the one pro-day workout, which Stoutland helped run. Yep, and if I think it was the uh, was it on NFL.com where he did the interview and he talked about his visit here and how every step along yep. the way – Stoutland was poking his head into the room. Hey, how's it going? You doing all right? You know, checking in on him. Uh, I'm excited. I, I cannot. I cannot wait to watch him. Not just the like, the spring as he's getting his feet wet, but I want. I can't wait to watch him this summer. Not just the early training camp, but then the preseason games. Fourth quarter preseason. <laughs> I'm ready to go, man. I can't wait to watch this kid uh, put on pads and get after people. You know, this is what you want in a seventh round pick. Yeah. Okay, I think Dave Spadaro and I had talked about on the preview show prior to Saturday's draft kicking off. It's just like, you. what do teams value in these late-round picks? You know, is there a trait that they want? Do they think it's just, just a quality football player? Is it production? You know, intangibles, measurables, whatever have you. My lot to me, is like the perfect guy. You take yeah. a seventh-round flyer on. Yes, you gave up a seven next year, but you already had an extra one, as I mentioned, because of the Allen Barber trade to Denver. You're a, it's a position of strength, you know, where – it's an obvious projection because he's never. He said he knew basically peanuts about the game of American football before going to his IMG Academy, where he said it was like four hours of on-field work and another three hours of uh, tape study, film room, and just learning the basics yeah. of the game. Okay, it's been a crash course, and so earlier where I said it was important for the Eagles to find players that you don't have to project to. You can make an exception here because the Eagles are so strong along the offensive line as it is. You're started from left to right, you know, among the best in the league. And you have quality depth there. Again, guys like Big V is Super Bowl starter, now is your backup. Isaac Sayamalo had a lot of quality, important reps in the Super Bowl, is your swing guy. Um, there, there are some key guys there that you feel good about. Chance Warmack has obviously a lot of starting experience in the NFL. You know, this is a perfect developmental guy. The, the question for me is just going to be, how far can he come along, you know, in such a short amount of time? Because he's not the only international rugby player on this team. Yeah. Adam Zaruba came in the middle of training camp last year. Virtually no chance for him. There was no chance for him to make the roster. I mean, there was, and there was not a lot of time to develop. Yeah, last year, right. Yep. Because you came into one of the strongest position groups at tight end at the, at the time, and it, it was an uphill climb for him, where he has to learn the thing, the big thing, biggest thing with Zaruba was the the blocking and the technique and things of that nature. Well, Zaruba's been re-signed to a futures contract. He's in the building, you know, for the entire offseason, and he'll have a chance to uh, get on the team. But my lot, it's like, how? What can he do in such a short amount of time? It's going to be fascinating to watch. And then when you get to that point where it's like, all right, you guys start making roster decisions. Could you afford to put him on the 
on the practice squad or try to hope he gets to the practice squad, knowing that you've invested at least a draft pick next year for him. So It's going to be fascinating to watch. It's going to be a lot of fun. Wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. So there's our look at the 2018 draft club. Anything you want to add before we wrap this up? No, I mean, there was a lot, uh, five good players, and uh, you get the, the number two pick, the second round pick next year. It's That's a good weekend. So when the Eagles have 20 draft picks next year, we're going to somehow have to speed our way through the process. Can't here. wait. So up next here, it's going to be our Mr. Relevant Kyle Krabs from NDT Scouting is going to explain why he thought the Eagles had the best draft haul of any team in the entire league. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Our Mr. Relevant here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We, we've had him here before. Yes. He's regular here on the yeah. podcast. Kyle Krabs from NDT Scouting. You can follow him on Twitter at that handle right there. And Kyle, we wanted to bring you on because you wrote an article recapping each team's NFL draft, and you ranked the Eagles as, as having the best class of all the teams in the NFL. And the Eagles only had five selections. So can you take us through your process in terms of how you graded the Eagles as the best in the NFL? Absolutely. So what I try and do at the end of each draft class is I will take a tally for all the picks made by all the teams, and I'm looking specifically for did this team get value versus my own personal draft board. So I'm not necessarily looking to say uh, Eagles got an A because they got so Josh Sweat and Dallas Goddard, I'm looking at a plus-minus of where the players were picked versus where I had them ranked on my personal draft board. And I've done this for each of the last five seasons, and the Philadelphia Eagles are consistently one of the two or three teams in the NFL, the other being the Jacksonville Jaguars that really stands out, that year-to-year, year, on a year-by-year basis, they consistently draft players that I have scored higher on my personal rankings relative to the rest of the NFL. So for, for this year, Philadelphia Eagles only having five draft selections, but they took away two top 40 players on my board despite only having five picks and no first-round selection, those two players being Dallas Goddard and Josh Sweat. So when I, when I am weighing the value of the picks, uh, first-round selections, obviously, those are the ones you're supposed to hit on. So those are very highly weighted. And as you work your way down the draft order, uh, that weight becomes diminishing because the odds of landing a successful player and the, the importance of getting a starter or a high-impact player is mitigated because the odds become less and less that you're going to find that deeper into the draft. So despite all of that, Eagles landing my 34th-rated player, Dallas Goddard, uh, in the 40s in the second round and then landing a player in Josh Sweat who has some medical concerns. But I think he's a really solid player, super explosive athlete, and landing him in the fifth round where they did, I think that was just a tremendous value. And, and those two picks really stood out to me as reasons why Philadelphia, despite limited capital and no first-round pick, got great value for each and every one of their picks versus my draft board. So, Kyle, tell us more about your thoughts on, on Dallas Goddard, because I know I'm pretty sure he was your number one tight end. He was my favorite tight end in this draft, even though some other guys I think may have had higher upside. My favorite on film was Dallas Goddard. So real quick, just give us kind of your, your elevator speech here on Dallas Goddard and what kind of sets him apart uh, for you in terms of the other players that in the, in that, at that position in this class. Yeah, would Philly mind letting some other teams in the league have some really great tight end play? This is just terrific that you know they, they lose Trey Burton in free agency and they have 
Dallas Goddard coming in to step in with Zach Ertz, which is going to be one of the most dynamic tight end pairings in the league. Uh, he was kind of hampered throughout the pre-draft process with the hamstring issue. But when you watch him on film, it's obvious that this kid was on a different level versus everybody else that he was playing at at South Dakota State. Extremely large catch radius. Uh, I think he's a cerebral route runner. When I talked to him at the Senior Bowl and I asked him about route running, he said the favorite, his favorite routes were option routes, the ability to read where the defender has leverage and adjust his break and his angles to sit down in open space and find open space. And you put him with Zach Ertz, who is a similar athlete to Zach Ertz. And now you have two of these guys that you can continue to roll in these two tight end sets and just find mismatches all over the field. It's just going to continue to keep this Philadelphia passing offense clicking at an extremely high level. Kyle, you wrote another article on NDT scouting, recapping the 2018 NFL draft, pairing your favorite team and position prospects. So, for example, when it came to tight end, your favorite match was Dallas Goddard landing with the Eagles. Why was it? Was it because of the value, because that Zachert's there, that you have that two tight end combo now that Doug Pierce and a micro can unleash? What, what was your thought process behind using that example there as your favorite one for the tight end position? Yeah, it, for me it was between Mike Gusecki and the Dolphins and Dallas Goddard and the Eagles. Uh, Dolphins had an extremely glaring, large need at that position, but for the Eagles, just how they consistently implement the tight ends into the passing game. And because he is so athletic, and, and you know, if Zach were to get banged up, I'd feel pretty confident about maybe not necessarily as a rookie, but in the immediate future, the next two, three, four years, Dallas Goddard is going to ensure, ensure that you know, no matter which of these tight ends is on the field, they're going to be able to run a lot of the same stuff. I value Dallas very similar to, similar to where I valued Zach Ertz coming out. And, you know, Zach kind of has really blossomed as a player the last two, three seasons. Uh, I think Dallas Goddard has the opportunity when he hits his peak in the NFL to be a very similar player as far as skill set and production. Kyle, you mentioned Josh Sweat earlier. We'll talk about the Eagles' first fourth-round pick and Avante Max with you shortly, but when you go back to Josh Sweat, we know he had the knee injury a couple years ago and then in high school as well, but what have you seen from him on film over the last uh, season or two that really makes you confident about his transition to the NFL? Yeah, so when I watched Sweat, I thought Florida State did him a disservice at times as far as their usage of him and implementation. He spent Way too many reps down in, in the B-gap, as far as I was concerned. This is a player that's about 250. Uh, he's got some nice length to him as well. And you saw that flash when he was able to kind of get outside eye on offensive tackles and attack up the field. I think that's where his first step really showed off the best. Uh, he utilized his length, and he's got some nice power in his hands to soften that angle and collapse that angle as a pass rusher as well. I do think pass rush is an area for him that needs to be developed as far as having a plan and having secondary counters that are going to be available to him. But what better place in the league for somebody like this to go who has, despite the knee injury that robbed him of some of his natural athletic ability, very explosive athleticism and traits to develop the technical side of his game than the Philadelphia Eagles, where you know they, they had been able to develop someone like Vinnie Curry, and I know that's not necessarily a one-to-one as far as their strengths and weaknesses as players, but Philadelphia has track record here of really drawing out the best of defensive ends and coaching these guys up. And I think 
that is going to continue with a guy like Josh Sweat, who has every single trait that you would want in a productive pass rusher. So along those same lines, Kyle, Marcus Davenport, who has a lot of upside as a pass rusher, is not well-refined, goes in the middle of the first round, and the Saints you know, mortgage next year's first-round pick to go up and get him. How is someone like Josh Sweat, who has, you know, the length, has the, you know, the first-step quickness, you know, there's, there's a lot to like with him. Why do you think he was still there in the fourth round, especially in what was considered a weaker edge rush class? Uh, I, I would point to probably two things. Teams uh, probably would have liked to have seen some more production out of Sweat as far as Davenport, you know, playing at a smaller school level of competition, not necessarily as small as Dallas Goddard, but uh, he was able to bully his way to a lot of productivity, you know, just, just beating guys up and then tossing and discarding offensive tackles out of the way, where Josh Sweat is, you know, a lot of his reps were kind of miscast down in the B-gap. He's really effective setting the point of attack as far as I was concerned and locking horns with offensive tackles, but the production wasn't there. He didn't have those stats to back it up. And and some of that goes back to the pass rush plan, but because Marcus Davenport's playing at a smaller school, he's able to still find those reps where he finishes those plays and makes those splash plays on film that Josh Sweat's not able to play in the ACC. And then obviously the, the knee, the medical, it was something that we were told wasn't a concern at the NFL Combine, but I have to think there had to be some sort of impact here because there there's no way a player that tested this well and has flashes like Sweat has, should have been available this late in the draft. Kyle, let me ask you now about the Eagles' first fourth-round pick, cornerback Avante Maddox from Pitt. Uh, is he a player that you studied? How did you feel about him overall when you watched him in college? Yeah, I like Avante. I think he, he's a really good option as far as developing into a, a nickel corner. I don't think this is somebody who's going to see a lot of time playing on the boundary. He's not the most physical guy. But I really like his quicks. He, he's really quick to stick his foot in the ground and break on routes in front of his face. Uh, pretty scrappy as a tackler. Uh, he's not small, but he's not. he doesn't have that boundary size profile that teams like uh, for an outside cornerback. So Philadelphia, you know, they, they kind of have all these guys that have a little bit of length on the outside. Now you get a guy who's got quickness that I think projects very favorably into a guy that in, in kind of more open formations and, and personnel groupings from the offensive perspective, you're going to be able to combat some of those quicker receivers in the middle of the field with a guy like Avante Maddox. Kyle, the Eagles' last two draft picks were utilized to fortify the offensive line, and the first player taken in the second round is intriguing because of his size. Matt Pryor, six foot seven, almost 340 pounds, yet he played both guard and tackle at TCU. Where do you think he fits in best at the next level? Uh, probably as a guard. Uh, I believe that's where he was listed uh, when the the official selections came out. Uh, I was familiar with Pryor. Pryor was not one of the, the top players that I had evaluated, but I had seen plenty of TCU, so I was very familiar with his game. Uh, with his size, you know, obviously you're not going to have to worry about guys putting him on his butt. He's got a really strong anchor. I'm just not quite sure that, that the movement skills there. Uh, but Philly's also got a pipeline here with TCU offensive linemen now, right, with uh, Vitae. And so I would expect he ends up landing at guard, but we'll see. 
And then Kyle, lastly, we got a player that both of us, neither of us have watched him on film because there's no film to watch. Uh, and that's Jordan Mailata, for, you know, the former rugby player from Australia. Uh, seeing the YouTube footage, you, you've got to be pretty excited about what you've seen from this kid. Holy cow. I have not seen, just seeing him on the NFL Network broadcast on day three of the draft, appreciating how big of a human being this is, these are exactly the kind of picks that a team like the Philadelphia Eagles can afford to make because of the depth on their roster. There is literally zero risk incurred with a selection like this where you get a really special athlete, maybe spends a year or two in the practice squad, and you hope you can develop him. And It's all uncoachable traits, and he looks like a tremendous athlete for his size. Obviously, the technique and then the ability to process angles is much more important, especially at the, the highest level of play, but... Uh, I think this is an excellent roll of the dice by the Eagles just because there's no risk incurred. So, for example, this was a player that wasn't on my 300 players on the board, but because you're so far down in the draft order, it's hardly – it's a negligible negative score versus when I scored my personal draft board. So that's how a player like that that wasn't on my draft board doesn't impact the Eagles draft grade because it is such a low-risk pick – with so much reward for a player that's this athletic. I love the move. Kyle Krabs from NDT Scouting, thank you very much for being our Mr. Relevant. He's actually, in some ways, the Mr. Irrelevant because he's the final Mr. Relevant. For the 2018 year, yeah. Exactly, here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Kyle, thanks for the insight. We appreciate it. Uh, Thanks for having me, guys. Now it's time for Pick 6. It's time for our final picks. Everything's a finality here on the Journey to Draft podcast for now, for the 2018 NFL Draft. Calm down, Fran. For a couple Calm months. Down. For a little time here, a little break here. No little break. break for you. No. Because I expect you to have probably 100 prospects under your belt by September. By the time we get back, yeah. Okay. Just want to have it clear. Before time we get back in September, are you dropping news here? Uh, we'll see. I don't know okay. if it'll be September. could be August. Could, could, be be October, August. could be October. We'll be back. We'll Soon, be back soon. Sooner than expected. Sooner than, sooner than normal, yes. Because at this point, we're hoping the Eagles are making, you know, annual deep playoff runs. So during the draft, you're going to need to expand it in order to be able to get all that knowledge and insight in. No question. You're going to basically have to help the scouting department. I mean, they're losing well, time. That. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I, it'll be fine. I'm, I'm excited to see how much more we can branch this out. All right, so as we're watching the draft, one of the favorite exercises are just reacting to draft as fans. Basically, all weekend, for the most part, we're watching as fans and seeing all these prospects who we've talked about and learned about, seeing where they go, and just seeing how teams, what the teams think of these players in actuality. The mock drafts are over. Exactly. So, you know, because we may say, all right, you know, Fran might have his big board of his top 100 players, and then he'll look and be like, man, they could have taken A, B, and C, and they went with, you know, my seventh-rate option. There, so that started an exercise for us. Why not play a little game of, you know, it's best way to phrase it. I can't believe blank went before blank. Okay, yeah. So I like it. I'll I'll kick things off here, and I think the first one came, and I would think a lot of fans are going to agree with this. And certainly, there's it's not just the film that comes into play here, but from a film standpoint, I can't believe Rashad Penny went before. Darius Geis okay the CLC Hawks took Rashad Penny late in the first round and I think when they were on the board 
A lot of people thought, look, they've been kind of looking for that next Marshawn Lynch, take some of the pressure off of Russell Wilson. O-line is still, you know, a question mark for the Seahawks, but, you know, they really need someone to kind of, you know, center the run game on. And seemed like Darius Geis would be the ideal guy with his rushing style. Um, but they went with Rashad Penny, who was very productive at San Diego State. Uh, just overall as a running back, you, I would, I thought that Darius Geis would bring more to the table in that situation than Rashad Penny. So and that was that was that was my first. I can't believe blank went before blank. Yeah, and he certainly fits like the mold of the running backs we've seen end up in Seattle. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll likes those big, bruising, powerful backs. So that was like a sleeper team that I thought could take Darius Geis in the first round. Obviously, like you said, they went with Rashad Penny. Yeah, probably one of the biggest surprises of the draft. I would say it would be Rashad Penny going that early. Um, or or Darius Guy's going as late as he did. Sure. You go, could, you go with that way, too. No so. question. Um, so I'll go with uh, – I'll stay on that at that position. I'm okay. going to running back. I'm going to do it a little bit later. Uh, one of our favorite like mid-round running backs in this draft was John Kelly from Tennessee. Uh, loved his balance, his ability to make people miss. Not really an explosive athlete, but caught the ball well out of the backfield. There were a lot of things to like with John Kelly. Edo Smith, I thought, was pretty, you know, had some similar type of traits. He make, you know, he had some wiggle, probably a little bit more wiggle than Kelly, but uh, I, I liked Kelly a lot more than Edo Smith. Liked Edo Smith, but he went like two rounds before John Kelly. That one was that was a pretty big surprise for me. Edo Smith's a nice player. Yes, and he goes to Atlanta. They do a good job with their running backs. They like to incorporate those. It's a great situation. Them. It's a good situation. Tevin Coleman's going to be a free agent after this year, so you figure he'll be the number two in twenty nineteen. Um, John Kelly. I was surprised that Ito Smith went before him. Looking at, you know, in terms of similar skill sets, that was a surprise for me. And again, we don't know the full picture. Of course. As much as the teams have. Again, you know, I asked Kyle, why did was Josh Sweat still there in the fourth round? And Malcolm could play, you know, a role in that. But sure. it's one of those things where, you know, there's, is there something behind the scenes that we're not seeing with, with some of these players? Uh, my second one, and when the Eagles were on the clock at number 32. One of the players who I said I would have loved to have seen in Midnight Green was Harold Landry out of Boston College. And to me, I thought that he should have been the number two defensive end taken in this draft class right behind Bradley Chubb. Yep. So the player who I can't believe blank went before blank, I can't believe Marcus Davenport went before Harold Landry. And I see the upside with Marcus Davenport, certainly. The physical tools are there, but... I didn't envision a role where Harold Landry could come in and help your team right away. I mean, he could come in, rush off the edge, sub-package rusher, you know, sort of in the same mold as like Vic Beasley and Leonard Floyd the last couple of seasons. It's something that I could easily plug and play with Harold Landry, more so, I guess, maybe than with Marcus Davenport. The Saints, you know, invested a lot. And if he becomes a nice compliment bookend to Cameron Jordan, look, no one's going to blink an eye at what it took to get him. But certainly I think that you could have made a case that I believe Harold Landry should have gone before Davenport. That's surprising. That was and I would venture to guess, like if we did like a uh you know, what are the what's the the newlywed game where I had to guess like what your most surprising moment was mm-hmm. from the NFL draft. Oh, easily. It was easily when Marcus Davenport's name was called instead of Lamar Jackson when the Saints traded up. Um you almost sprinted out of the room. It's 
just because of the capital used to get them. Yeah. Okay. When, when they trade up, when they, when you, we heard that it was a first, we said, okay, it's for the, it's for the quarterback. And if you had the NFL Network show on, that's you know, all they were talking. That's about. That's all they talked about. Yep. Lamar Jackson going there, and because that's where you could have seen Lamar Jackson going as well. It wasn't even uh, so much that that's the price you pay for a quarterback. It's Drew Brees. You know, he could be entering the tail end of his career, and you know, you love to envision what Sean Payton could do with a talent like Lamar Jackson. It, it fit for a number of reasons, and especially because you're trying to maneuver around teams like, you know, Arizona had already gotten their quarterback, but, you know, maybe were the Chargers maybe in play there to get, get a quarterback to, you know, take over when Phillip Rivers is done. It, it was an interesting spot in the draft from a quarterback standpoint. So a lot, all the signs point to that would be a quarterback. But, yeah, I will say that I definitely had the biggest reaction probably of the entire night when that took place. If you would say, like, if you were to ask me, would I rather have Marcus Davenport at the cost of two first-round picks or Josh Sweat, even with the medical questions in the fourth round, it's like a slam dunk, not even close. It's definitely Josh Sweat. Do you take the current roster construction into consideration where Josh Sweat's yeah. coming into a situation where, look, I mean, you right now have, go down the def chart at defensive end, you know, Josh Sweat basically has a year to be able to come in, develop, and learn with some great veterans. You know, Marcus Davenport is going to a team He's play that's, right away. He's got to play right away. That team is, you know, trying to win now. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on him. For someone who I think has probably more of a – he's going to need more time to develop, I yeah. would say, than Harold Landry. Yeah, so. that was a big surprise. It was so. a big surprise. Uh, I'm going to stay in the front seven. I'm going to go with a guy that went to the end of day two. Okay. And this is Clemson linebacker Dorian O'Daniel. He went to the Kansas City Chiefs. I looked at Dorian O'Daniel and thought he's like the you know in a, in an ideal world he is exactly what the new you know the quote unquote new NFL is <laughs> looking for like he's the you know a coverage player he was basically like a an extra safety played in the slot he did all these different things as a linebacker in terms of playing in space but I wasn't you know I didn't see a guy that processed things quickly he's gonna have to make a huge adjustment to the NFL maybe they're gonna use him as like an extra safety and play him in sub package and that's fine. Um, but the fact that he went before Josie Jewell and significantly before Josie Jewell in this draft to me is is and you're is, big, you you liked what Josie Jewell bring to yes. bring to the table with O'Daniel is it athleticism is there what yeah, what I mean is that the it's calling card for him more than it. anything else because that was the knock on Josie Jewell yeah. it's like very instinctive and smart football player great play recognition skills all that stuff he's a linebacker yeah he's a li- exactly yes whereas Dorian O'Daniel I think is a safety you know, with a linebacker mask on, and we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But I, that one was a that one was a big big surprise to me. I, I'll be interested to see how he's used because you know, if look, if Kansas City thinks that they're going to play a lot more sub package and uh, you know, and he's going to be playing out in space more and matching up on tight ends and doing things like that, he's a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how he's used. All right. So my third one, and we talked about Lamar Jackson. I went with the signal callers, and I can't believe. Josh Allen went before Josh Rosen. And with all the, the buzz leading up to the draft and the, you know, the, the rumors that Josh Allen was in consideration for the number one overall pick, this, that, and the other, I guess it shouldn't really be a shock. But to me, I just think Josh Rosen's game translates beautifully to the NFL. And I understand there's medical concerns. I, the character stuff, to me, and I think this is just my perception, I don't think there are character concerns. It's He's 
is he different? Well, you know, he speaks his mind maybe more. So it's it's very interesting because I think this quarterback class brings you someone in Baker Mayfield who is cut from a different cloth than the CEO quarterbacks that we're used to seeing. Yeah. You know, guys like Car- you know Carson Wentz right in our own building with the way that they lead the franchise. It seems like Baker Mayfield is going to be a different cat and, you know, good or bad otherwise. And maybe Josh Rosen is – is different, but I don't even know if he really is all that different. Yeah. So, but but to me, you know, the the talent was there, production was there, the way he, the way he plays from within the pocket. I get I guess I get the fact that he's not as good an athlete as like Josh sure. Allen doesn't have the arm talent, but there, I feel like there are a lot more things against Josh Allen than against Josh Rosen, and really you're trying to make the best educated guess you can with these draft prospects. Yeah, I, and I, I think that what took the shock away from it for me was that we had talked about it for so long. Like It was like it was almost like a preconceived notion that yeah. Yeah, it sounds like Rosen's going to be the one that's going to fall of the four. Shouldn't have been that way, in my opinion. Yeah. In yeah, your opinion as exactly. well. Exactly. On draft night, you weren't surprised by it, but right. still, at the end of the day, they can't believe that actually sure. happened. So yeah, I mean, we didn't th- look. We didn't think Baker Mayfield was going to be going. No, number one overall. So that's probably one of my number one shocks of the draft. Yeah. Um, all right, so I'm going to go. I'll wrap it up. I'm going to stay on the offensive side. I'm going to go tight end, and this is again going mid rounds. Um, Jordan Akins, the I think he's 26 year old tight end. Yeah, uh, former college base or a former minor league baseball player. Uh, I believe he was with the Texas Rangers system. Goes to Central Florida, plays for a couple years, has modest production, goes to the Senior Bowl, has a solid week. <laughs> Literally the Senior a, Bowl. Go, ha, becomes a third-round pick um, ahead of Ian Thomas, who was a fourth-round pick. Now, it's not like Ian Thomas was like this four-year starter, a big-time you know, big program, no. and put up great production, but uh, he's a lot younger. He blo- He's a better blocker. He's a better route runner. I think he's got better hands. To me, I I was because Ian Thomas was kind of the, the buzz on him th- really over the last like three months had been he could be a top forty pick he was he could be like a you know don't be shocked if he goes number forty one or number forty two like yeah um, his agent did a great job he did he did but every, even when you talk to people like it was like it's like yeah keep it keep it on this because he's gonna go high he ended up going to the fourth round and they, and the Panthers got a, got a good one I would have loved the Eagles to end up with him had they not to, you know if the, Look, I'd rather have Dallas Goddard in the but second if round. Not, if, if, yes. if not, I would have loved Ian Thomas. I would have been a big fan of that. So, mm-hmm. Ian, the fact that uh, – and, the, I mean, look, the one thing that he has, uh, Aikens, over um, Ian Thomas is he's got speed. Aikens can run down the seam. They also took another tight end in the draft, too, so I don't, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it is what it is on that it one. Is, so. It is what it is. Let's grade ourselves for a quick second here. As Ooh. I'm going through – you do a phenomenal job of – historically documenting every episode, the rundown for every episode yeah. we've done of the podcast. So I wanted to go back to the six bold predictions. Ooh. And kind of, you know, take a... I, I know trip. I'm over for two. I, I, well, no, you did much better than I did. Oh, I did? Easily. Wow. Easily. And a, on a pick six? Yeah. Oh, all right. Let's see it. So, let's see. Six bold predictions for the draft. I was pounding the table for Lamar Jackson to the Dolphins. Yep. So, didn't happen. Didn't happen. Right conference, and that's really about it. Sure. So, so ends up in Baltimore, you know, thanks to Philadelphia making the trade. But, you know, I th- I thought Miami was going to go quarterback, but 
you know, they they took Minka Fitzpatrick, and all the discussion there was they were not going to take a quarterback with Ryan Tannehill despite sure. him injuring his knee twice in three years. Uh, the Giants, this is your first one, the Giants will not pick a number two. They did. They did. Fair enough. You know, it's, taking me so. This is something This comes from the MMQB's Peter King that seemed like that Baker Mayfield was like the, the one quarterback who teams wanted to go up for. So I guess once Mayfield came off the board, you know, the Browns trying to get good value at four, the, the Giants at two, I guess it just wasn't really, really there. But the Giants were hell-bent on getting a what they consider a Hall of Fame-type player, a player touched by God, and they feel that's what they got in Saquon yeah. Barkley. So I, I will not bring up your discussion with Greg Cosell. It's a long um, discussion. Um, it's for, uh, for another podcast. No, my next one, Harold Landry, would be the second edge rusher selected. Nope, was incorrect on that one. Uh, you had Denver would take a quarterback. 0 for 2. Yep. Okay. Uh, me going 0 for 3, striking out completely. A player will be involved in a first-round trade. So I actually have it down as in a first-round trade where Martavis Bryant was traded. During the first round. During the first round. Right. But not – I was thinking – a veteran player. And Earl Thomas. And Earl Thomas was yeah. the one that was buzzed about. Julio everyone Jones. everyone what, what was going on with Julio Jones with his right. social media. Yeah. You know, so okay, oh for three. But you knock out of the park with this last one is that Maurice Hurst would not be selected in the first round. Or the second round or the third round. <laughs> he, he would have been right. Yeah. Absolute shame there. So but yeah. But the so. Raiders, so the Raiders, they're the ones that got Martavis Bryant and they're the ones who took Maurice Hurst. And they took Arden Key. And they took Arden Key. I con- I contemplate uh, Arn Key for the uh, if not right, you know I can't believe. So. I, what I don't here's what I don't get about Maurice Hurst is if you cleared him, he was a top fifteen, even a top twenty, a top ten. Like I thought he was a top like top twelve player. Like however you grade him, he was a first round talent. Certainly. How how does that happen that he goes to the fourth round and you're like, yep, we're good. It like how be. does he get to the third? Like why did yeah. you do it at the third round? I would say. We talked about a little bit yeah. about this over the weekend. Two things come to mind. One is your discussions with teams, your intelligence allows you to kind of sift out who might be in on him, who might not be, and you might just say, you know what, we can we can wait till then and get him. Yeah. Okay. That he'll still be there when our pick comes around in the fourth round. The next could be, I don't know, this something team by team. Maybe there's varying degrees of medical grades. Maybe there is a. You know, we feel comfortable taking him in the first from a value standpoint of what you're going to have to pay him and, you know, the capital that you're surrendering to acquire the player versus if you wait till the fourth round and you say, all right, it's if it doesn't work out, the cost is not as bad as if using a third, a second, or a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. That's what uh, comes to mind. Yeah. I mean, it's it's probably not the best argument, certainly. I just hope that medically everything's okay. That's all. That's, the most, that's the, most the, most day, the most important thing. Exactly. The biggest thing there is that the heart condition – is not a factor, yeah. and he has a very productive NFL career. So that's going to do it for Pick 6. Now your questions one last time in our draft mailbag. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, so we put out a late call for the questions. Got a couple. We got a few? Okay. Yeah, I got a couple. You got the one that's on your sheet. I got right the right. one right here, here so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it up here. So as I scroll down just a little bit, from Twitter, at Jamie underscore Sir wants to know, if the knee really did check out okay for Josh Sweat, 
How is he around late in the fourth round in a weak pass rush class? And well, the, well, the knee checked for the Eagles. I'm sure it checked yes. for a couple other teams. Certainly, but it didn't check. Probably didn't check for everybody. Yeah, and it could be the going you were just talking Maurice Hurst. Yep. Could be the same thing. You might have a sense that teams A, B, C, and D who are picking ahead of you are not going to be in on him. So that's probably the biggest thing right there. Um, Kyle Krabs, I thought, did a great job bringing it up. Maybe it's the production. Maybe that for and he's the not Eagles, a finished product. No, but yeah. for the Eagles, again, this goes back to you can project where he's going to fit in in this defense. Maybe he's not quite the fit for other teams' defenses. Yeah. So probably a combination of both of those yep. right there. Uh, we got another question staying right. on topic from Fred Hugo underscore on Twitter. Do you think drafting another pass rushing D end may spell the end for Brandon Graham? And I don't think that's the case. No, I don't think that's not the case. at all. Yeah. But it's not. You got to think about the future with Chris Long, who's probably last year. Last year of his contract. Yeah. Michael Bennett's up there in age last year as of his well. Contract, I believe. Too. You just need. I mean, if you're thinking you want to have four defensive ends, I mean, you just, you're going to have to start replenishing them at some point, yep. at one time or another. So, no, to me, I don't look at it as an anti-Brandon. You're, ta- you're not taking the fourth, fourth round pick and saying this guy is going to replace you know one of the most productive pass rushers for your team in recent history. Like, yep. No, it's. Not whatsoever. From A Fuentes seven ten on Twitter, do you think the seventh round pick Aussie, obviously seventh round pick Jordan Mailata, the uh, the down underdog hashtag down exactly? Underdog. Have you used uh, that in a tweet yet? A couple times. Okay, trying to I, I got to make the thing. I got to make it happen. Uh, uh, I do you think he will excel at tackle, or is he best suited for another position, maybe tight end? And then to follow that up. At PHL Sports Talk, responded to that tweet saying running back or kick returner. So he likes him with the ball in his hands. That's the thing is, a proud dad moment, Sunday morning. So I'm having breakfast with my boys, Julian and Carter, and I'm telling them, like, we drafted this rugby player in the seventh round from Australia. And I pull out the YouTube highlights. And Carter goes, Oh, he'll be great on offense. And I'm sort of like, well, he's going to play tackle. <laughs> tackle. Yeah, like he's never going to touch the ball. So, and, <laughs> but, even, yeah. and even at the, uh, <laughs> and even at the end of the uh, draft, the final press conference, it was like, you know, do you guys see him in a different position? And Doug was like, can we give him the ball on the one yard line to smash it in? It's, it's true because of how athletic, how much of a fluid mover he looks like on the field. How naturally he looks with the ball in his hands. It's like, you know. You almost want him in an attacking, more of an attacking position than O line. Where typically, most pa- in the pass game, you're pass game, backwards. you're moving backwards. But in this offense, you actually are probably attacking more than anything else. So, yeah, um, yeah. like you could think, even thinking back to like the the Honey Bobo package, <laughs> exactly. we'll yeah. there, you know, the Honey Jojo, Honey Jojo. I I remember asking uh, Dave Spadaro this when we were hosting Eagles Draft Central presented by Deaton Watson over the weekend. And I said, is it sort of like a Dylan Gordon type situation where Dylan Gordon was that developmental tackle, but he was, they were trying to carve out a yeah, goal line a role. fullback. Yep. Sure. Yeah. I, I think you have, you have to have that in your game plan. At yeah. Some I'm point. sure they will. Fourth preseason game, preseason game, you know, New York Jets, ball, balls with the one yard line. I can't wait to watch him in the preseason. I said it earlier. I can't wait to watch him in the preseason. Yeah. Can't That's, wait. You need, you just need something to get you through the fourth quarter of some of those games. Well, okay. some of us. I'm I'm locked in. You're locked in, but at least you're trying to find like who's that 
guy with the upside. Who Casual can, fans will be very, very. That's the thing. He'll be the exactly. Big, he'll be the That'll be the big thing to watch. So yes. we'll, we will be promoting that quite a bit throughout the spring and summer. So I mean, can't wait to have him here in the building. So uh, any other questions or that's it? Yeah, it was a late. It was a late call. It's you all right. know, it's a long enough podcast. We're we're recapping everything here. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. Um, it's been fun. It has been fun. It's it was short because of the uh, run to the Super Bowl. That's true. You know, so it's always it's a it's a bittersweet time. But you know, sort of like what I asked Kyle Krabs at the end of our interview with him, I asked you when I got in this morning. I'm like, so uh, who are you watching? <laughs> and I watched Ed Oliver this morning. Yeah. So you're already on to 2019. That's right. There's a reason why I'm so prepared. By the time we get to the, it, there's no way, there's no way, someone like me who you know tries to jump on the bandwagon in January this year. You know, previous years when the Eagles were, you know, slated to not make the playoffs, you get a little bit of a head start. This year, it's like you're you're already so late in the process that it's like, all right, you know, get the first round guys down. It was the catch up. It, it was the cramp session for the combine. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. So, but uh, phenomenal work by you as always, and Thank you. Uh, Me too. You know, it's going to be uh, fun to hear this coming back season round. Yes, it'll. Uh, it's going to be fun. I, I I don't have any details yet, but we'll, 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 soon. we'll let that know, simmer a little we'll, bit. Exactly. Give a little tease. So out don't there, don't unsubscribe. The most important thing is if you're listening to this on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, do not unsubscribe because we will be back. Do you ever unsubscribe to a podcast? For yeah, every once in a while. Okay, I'll, I'll do a little spring cleaning. Like makes once sense. Every few months. That's fair. That's fair. Because I'm choosy enough that I don't sit there and go, oh, they haven't had a new episode. Because it's so far down the list, I guess, when I refresh. The thing is, is that I'll, I'll look at my podcast and I'll say, like, okay, uh, is it one either that hasn't put a new one out or that I just, you know, because you know how there's some, like, there's, you get so many to your phone in a week, yeah. you just don't get to. And by the time you want to go listen to it, it's like, oh, it's timed out already. I'm just going to delete it. If I haven't listened to one for a few weeks, then I know I'm just going to unsubscribe. Yeah, it, it's tough because it's, you know, bringing back the spring cleaning analogy. It's like you're you're hopeful. You're hoping that, you know, I go through with, like, shirts and stuff every once in a while, you know, clothes. It's just like, I haven't worn it in a year, but there could be that one opportunity where oh, I need it. I just did this last night. I donated, like, eight pairs of shoes Good last for you. Night. Yeah, eight pairs of shoes? We cleaned out our closet, and we had a lot. I had a lot of wow. like old sneakers and dress shoes that I've already like replaced since we moved into the house. And That's impressive. Spring cleaning. Yeah. I, actually, I actually, a few weeks ago myself, it was a bag of like just random wires and cables. Oh, I've got one of those. For like like RCA adapters and just like, <laughs> you know. You plug in the old VHS? Stuff, just stuff like that. Yeah, like the... Uh, where you're just like, there could be that chance where, in fact, speaking along those lines, so my in-laws are preparing their house to sell, and they're trying to get rid of everything. And over the weekend, my wife came home with an 80s-style camcorder, like one of those like monstrous ones that... <laughs> Whereas the ones that are that big today actually produce like HD-quality film, where this one I have... You have to put a VHS. Probably, probably have a VHS full-size yeah. full VHS tape. So I probably actually am going to need one of those cables that I just tossed a few weeks Well, that's ago. the thing is that you can take that cat. That's the only way you're going to be able to play the tapes in it is you're going to hook that up to your TV. Exactly. Playing them out of that. So but it go was, off the beaten path a little bit. It was a nice little – yeah, but it's a good way to wrap up the yeah, podcast. Sure. So right. I'm just trying to stretch it out here pretty much, So which we had to do quite a bit <laughs> this weekend. This weekend, yeah. <laughs> So since we've done enough of that, again, thank you all to our loyal listeners and subscribers. We appreciate all the comments and the questions you've given us. We hope 
that you've enjoyed the journey as much as we have. No this question. has been the Journey to the Draft podcast. We will be back next season.